very much. I have my uh, giant Bible here this morning uh, because we're going to talk a little bit about the Bible uh, as being God's Word. And this Bible, it's in the front here, um, is from 1872. So I bought it a couple of years ago. I found it in a, uh, in a bookshop, presented to Miss Blackett on her ceasing to be a teacher in St. Augustine Sunday School in Unley in uh, South Australia. So 1872. Uh, it's a beautiful Bible in uh, fantastic condition, and uh, I'm going to leave that here this morning because this is what we're going to uh, talk about today. When we talk about God's Word, uh, often we that reference, uh, we think of the Bible. And uh, now I haven't really read a physical Bible <laughs> for about 12 years because uh, it's all digital, all, all on my phone, but I thought I'd bring a physical Bible today. It's so powerful and uh, um, so incredible, the Word of this is the Word of God, and, and out of all the words that we hear from God, or we think we hear from God, or we weigh in our heart, uh, there's nothing like God's Word in the Bible written down <laughs> by authors that believed in God, inspired by the Holy Ghost, to have black and white words on a page that give us an indication of who God is, what His nature is like, what He's saying to humanity, how we should live our life, how we should interact in this world, even what happens after this life, it's incredible that we have the Holy Scriptures or the divine Word um, of God in a book. Now, let me take a few steps back on the Bible for a minute to a nursery rhyme, a nursery rhyme that we all know so well. Uh, Jesus loves me, uh, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, I was singing, I didn't plan this, but I was literally singing this song this morning because I was putting Nova back to bed at about 8 a.m. She got up at 4 a.m., I think, and Zoe crawled back into bed, and then I put her back to bed at about 8 a.m. after she'd been up for a while. And I've sang this song thousands of times over the last decade uh, with my children. But the interesting, the nursery rhyme there, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Even that nursery rhyme indicates that the Word of God, how do we know that God loves us? Well, it says it in the Bible. His Word, His promise uh, his reliable words from his mouth. God is a, the most reliable man of his word that you'll ever meet. Uh, he says he loves us. We sing it in nursery rhymes. And how do we know that he loves us? Well, we know it because it says it in the Bible. The Bible says so. The Bible also tells us a few other things, uh, getting away from children and babies and uh, bottle feeding and things like that. It says things like, thou, thou shalt not, and this says thou because it's, it's, it's a King James version, thou shalt not kill Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not murder in some versions. So we have some pretty strong directives as well, which may seem obvious to us that we should not murder. But uh, in many pieces of history gone by, uh, the Ten Commandments have stood up as revolutionary to actually protect uh, human life. When I was growing up, I was told things like, this Bible is the manual for doing life. It's the manual for doing life. So... I assume it has all these directives in there about how to do a budget. No, no it doesn't actually. <laughs> it's super explicit then about how to get in a relationship, fall in love and get married. Well, not really. It's not that kind of manual of life. It's not like a uh, DIY book that tells you how to do everything. It's, it's actually much bigger and deeper than that. And we'll get into that a bit today. Uh, when I was a child, another thing as I was reflecting preparing this sermon that I was told is, that if you put anything in this Bible that isn't already there, or you take anything away from this Bible, then you, man, you are going to be in big trouble with God. This is the Word of God. One word taken away, one word added is pretty serious. 
Now, as a child, that uh, created fear in me and probably didn't give me a healthy respect for the Bible. But the point is that we believe that these scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is what we call the Word of God, as in the Bible. Uh, So it's not everything that God is saying, because He says things into our heart that are a little bit different to the Bible. But everything He says in our heart should align with everything He said in the Bible. And everything that's said in the Bible should align with everything we sense in our heart from God. That's the important thing. It's not about perfection or understanding or one word's added or taken away, you're going to die or burn in hell. No, it's the point is that this is special, that this is sacred. The Bible shouldn't bring fear in your heart. The Bible should bring an incredible love for God that He has revealed Himself uh, through the Scriptures. You may remember a couple of weeks ago in this series on God's Word, we spoke about natural revelation, uh, so the revealing of God, and special revelation. So God has revealed Himself specially, uniquely to those that want to hear God's Word through Jesus. That's special revelation. The Son of God came to earth. And one of the other parts of special revelation is believing, because not everyone believes, but for those that believe that the Bible is the Word of God. That's a special revelation that some can hear and take on. So what is the Bible? Let's get into some cold, hard facts. What's got 66 books, if you remember, 39 of them are the Old Testament books, or what's considered the Hebrew Bible or the Jewish Bible, used by the Jewish people still to this day. And then you've got 27 New Testament books, uh, or you might call these 27 New Testament books that have been written after the time that Christ came, died, and uh, rose again and went back to heaven. You may call them early pieces of writing, early Christian pieces of writing. So you've got Gospels, um, you've got letters written to certain people, most of it written by the Apostle Paul, and you've got the Gospel writers, and you've got a bunch written by Peter and James and John and different ones like that. Incredibly, 40 authors have written the Bible over 1,500 year period of time, 40 different authors. So when you think about the Bible and how it links together, it's phenomenal. When Jordan B. Peterson talks about the Bible, he says it's like everything in the Bible is hyperlinked to each other. And only God, I believe, could divinely inspire 40 authors over 1,500 years to write 66 books that it's like it's all hyperlinked. It all makes sense and feeds into each other and answers each other's questions and prophecies that were prophesied a thousand years ago are fulfilled. A thousand years later, only God could do something incredible like that. But let's dig down into what we want to talk about today. The real crux of what the Bible is. Why is it reliable? Why can you trust this book written by 40 authors, written over so much time? It, it, wasn't it just, you know, some people would complain Some people would uh, use the Bible as a criticism against Christianity to say, isn't it just a bunch of uh, powerful men, probably white men, uh, that put it together in order to back up their own beliefs, in order to build their own uh, patriarchy and power, in order to oppress poor people, in order that the church could have a reason to tell everyone what to do? Isn't it surely it's just human intuition, human innovation, just putting this together um, but, uh, to serve uh, a human, selfish purpose. Well, let's look into the Scriptures today and what they say about themselves. We're going to m- jump into 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. So have a look at this uh, in your Bible. Maybe you've got a physical Bible, maybe you've got a digital Bible, uh, or maybe you just want to read it on the screen with us this morning. It says in 2 Peter 1 verse 19, so this is the Apostle Peter who spent time 
with Jesus. He walked with Jesus for three years, writing a couple of decades later after Jesus is gone. And he says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well, you will do well to pay attention to it. Okay, so let's, let me just stop there for a moment because there's so much in that first uh, half a sentence there. This is a prophetic message. This is the greatest prophecy given to humanity. This is the greatest word from heaven, the greatest prophecy authored and spoken and written down by human beings, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is greater than any word you receive in your private prayer time. This is greater than any prophecy you could receive from the greatest prophet, apostle on the planet. This is better teaching than any Bible scholar could teach you about anything. This is a superior word, the most reliable word of God, Peter says. And then not without, uh, not, 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 not by just a coincidence, uh, but with lots of purpose and intention, he puts, pay attention to it. Pay attention to it. Listen to it. You know, this is one of the greatest struggles for us as Christians in our journey, our spiritual journey, is to actually align ourselves with what God has said, to pay attention to that and how His Word reads us and impacts us, as opposed to us going about just living our life by feelings and preferences and flowing this way by this media outlet or that friend said this or our husband wants that. Pay attention, Peter says. This is the thing that should direct your path. This should be your starting point. You should come to the Bible with no reference point to hear the reference point of God. And then from that position, that divine position, that most reliable prophecy, you can begin to walk into your future knowing that God is shining a light. Let's read the next little bit. As to a light, this is what the Bible is, shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. It shines into darkness. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, this is the prophecy of Scripture, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. The starting point of accurate interpretation of the Bible is not starting with your position. It's starting with God's position and understanding His position. For prophecy, verse 21, never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't talking about a prophet standing on a platform. This is talking about a prophet as in the Old Testament, New Testament writers, the 40 authors who wrote this Bible. The Bible is the most reliable prophetic word. Prophecy meaning about the future, prophecy meaning about taking you forward. We are people of, we are prophetic people as Christians. We are people of the future as Christians, not people of the past. We are people that walk forward in the will of God, and the Bible is the most reliable word that we can have. It reveals to us God's intentions, God's heart, where God wants to take us, how God deals with us. It reveals to us what's important, what's less important, what's a priority to God, what's not a priority, what has eternal significance, and what is just natural and passing away. So today, we're going to dive into four different points, because I really want to encourage you to handle the Bible correctly. If we handle the Bible correctly, we will hear God's Word clearly through it. Incorrectly handled, this Bible, oh, heaven, 
got to hold it with two hands. In, imagine if this was in the old days and I was standing up the front all, all day preaching for an hour holding this thing. I'd have big muscles. Now I've got a little iPhone. But this Bible, this Bible, handled correctly, read, read correctly, understood with the author's intention, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, because God had an intention, handled correctly, this is a transformative book. This is God's Word that transforms our life. Handled incorrectly, and we totally miss the heart of God. We miss the kingdom of God. We miss prophecy as it should be understood. We miss how we're meant to live our lives. We miss the whole context of being a follower of Jesus, living in a world where following Jesus is not costly. So let's talk about four different things this morning to handle the Word of God correctly. The first thing, believe the Bible's history proves its trustworthiness. Believe the Bible's history, so how the Bible actually came together as a book, that proves its trustworthiness. You know, there's 53 references to Scripture just in the New Testament. For instance, on, in Luke 24, where, where, where the guys on the road to Emmaus saw Jesus after his resurrected said that their minds were opened. Our minds were opened so that we could understand the Scriptures. So these references in the New Testament mainly reference the Old Testament when they say Scriptures. So the Scriptures that we have in the Old Testament are references God's Word, and then the New Testament is written after Jesus Christ has, has, has gone, returned to heaven, and the New Testament are accepted as the new Scriptures, added on to the Old Testament, so that we have one complete work that is the inspired work of God. In a couple of chapters later from our key scripture today in 2 Peter 3, Peter talks about Paul's writings and he says, Paul's letters contain some things that are very hard to understand. Paul writes a bit complex, it's very deep and difficult to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do with other scriptures to their own destruction. So even Peter is referencing Paul's letters, so like Ephesians and Thessalonians and Philemon and Timothy, and he's saying these letters are Scripture, meaning they're divinely inspired words of God, and these are things that we should pay attention to. So already very early, even in the Bible itself, we're already seeing this historical record of certain letters and certain books are considered divinely inspired, and as we'll talk about in a moment, there's other letters and other books that didn't make it into the Bible. By about 400 AD, so 400 years, four centuries since Jesus has come and gone, we have the Bible finally is accepted as we have it today. It took 400 years to kind of work out which letters, which books, and which Gospels are from God and inspired by the Holy Spirit, and which are just written by man and not by God. So as I said before, it wasn't a powerful group of church men in Rome deciding what should be in the Bible. It actually came together, the Word of God, with a global consensus by key Christian figures and early church fathers and men and women right across the globe who consented that these are the letters that we believe are divinely inspired. So Gospels like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Barnabas, the Gospel of Mary, they didn't make it into the Bible. Our works like the Didache, which was written in about 120, which gives us most of our tradition that we understand for how we take communion, our instructions about communion, had a lot of instruction about true prophets and apostles and false prophets and apostles, had great teaching 
But the Didache didn't make it into the Bible, even though it was written only a few decades after most of Jesus' disciples had passed away. The Shepherd of Hermes is another uh, well-known book that didn't make it into the Bible either. So there's lots of books that didn't make it in because as the global consensus of what was inspired by God came about over the centuries, then we got the Bible that we have today. And the Bible we have today is accepted by the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church. It's accepted by Protestant Christians, so we would fall into that arm of Christianity. And it's also accepted by the Orthodox Church even today, 1600 years later. Why is it trustworthy? Why does this historical understanding of the Bible make it trustworthy? Well, there's things in here that you wouldn't put in a book if you were writing it. For instance, in, in Mark's Gospel, has all these stories about Peter, Peter denying Christ, Peter saying stupid things and Jesus having to say, get behind me, Satan. Peter looks like a bit of a fool. But it's wi widely understood that Peter was probably the one who dictated the Gospel of Mark and Mark wrote it down. Why would someone write things about themselves being a fool, things about themselves missing it, things about themselves cutting off the ears of Roman soldiers? Why would somebody write that? They would only write it because the words are true, because the stories are true. You would only put yourself into the Bible to make yourself look like a fool if you believe that God's Word and the stories of the Bible were more important than how you, Peter the Apostle, may be represented in the story. We also have archaeology finds that incredibly, over centuries and centuries, archaeology has again and again and again confirmed that the Bible and what it says is true. Probably the most famous archaeological find was only in 1947, so only about 70 years ago, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the biggest find of ancient material and manuscripts, mainly about the Old Testament, that affirmed books that were written thousands of years ago, word for word, were written correctly. So the copy we have today of Isaiah and Genesis and, and the Pentateuch and, and all these different books in the Old Testament, in 1947, they found ancient manuscripts, some of them 1,500 years old, that were word for word the same as the modern Bible we have, that proves there's a trustworthiness about God's Word. Number two, recognize that each, each book's genre frames the author's intention. Now, I'm trying to help you here. How do we handle the Word of God right? This is the most powerful prophetic message that we have. We need to understand how it works. Each book's genre frames the author's intention. The, the Bible, despite the fact we call it a book, it is not a book. It's more like a volume of books, a collection of books. There's 66 books in the Bible, hence the word Bible, which is a Latin word, Biblia, which means volume of books or collection of books. In these books, there's many different genres, and this is probably the first baby step towards understanding how to understand the Bible properly. That some books are written are prehistoric, like all of Genesis is prehistoric. We have no way of telling, that scientifically we can't understand when Genesis was exactly written. There's no corroborating uh, evidence archaeologically or uh, literary, so written down evidence that tells us about Genesis and when it really happened. So we consider that prehistoric. There's lots of books about the history of Israel, like Samuel and Chronicles. There's books of poetry, Song of Solomon, uh, Job, Ecclesiastes are, are books of poetry. There's the prophets, the minor prophets, the major prophets, so prophetic books that are spoken to a certain people in a certain time, usually Israel living in captivity. So there's a certain genre. Then we come into the New Testament, we have the Gospels. 
the Gospels are really, the best way to understand the Gospels is like a bibliography, okay? So when we read, oh, sorry, not a bibliography, a biography. So when we read a biography about a person's life, it's not a historical account. It's not this happened and then Jesus said this and then Jesus went there. No, a, 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 a biography is written in a way to understand the person and who they are. And this is how the Gospels are written, so that we know Jesus and the story of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. That is the, the laser focus of the Gospel writer to help us understand who he was, what he was here for. It's not a historical account that you can look at that's going to be scientifically provable. So that's not the purpose of the Gospels. And when we understand that, it helps us tease out what the author was trying to say. And obviously, most of the rest of the New Testament are letters, like Paul writes to a letter to Timothy. Paul writes a letter to all the Christians who live in the city of Corinth. That's what we get, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And actually, 1 and 2 Corinthians are probably not written in that order. It's very strongly understood that there's probably a letter before 1 Corinthians, and there's probably a letter that we've lost between 1 and 2 Corinthians. So actually, 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is probably 4 or 5 Corinthians, if we had had all the letters that Paul had written. So if you read it carefully, you'll see that they talk about different letters and reference them, but we obviously don't have all the letters. So it's, under, it's like if you wrote an email or a letter and that was divinely inspired and ended up in the Bible, that's that kind of genre. And then we have Revelations, which is obviously apocalyptic, which talks about the end times and the end things and understanding how heaven uh, bursts into earth and how those things work and gives us an understanding of that. When you read the Bible and understand the genre, you've got to ask yourself, what is the author saying? This is the point. The big problem with modern people is because we think we know so much, we tend to read our modern understanding into the Bible and we miss God's Word, the greatest, most reliable prophecy that we can have. So when we read the Bible, read it seriously. But you also can't read everything literally. When Jesus said, I am the door, He didn't mean He was a literal door. Like there's a lot of metaphor in the Bible. It's, 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 it's not many people will read Genesis literally because scientifically Genesis can't be proven to be a literal account. But Genesis wasn't written as a scientific, historical, literal account of the beginning. Genesis is a theological book. It's a book written with a theology. It shows us the nature of God. Genesis doesn't necessarily tell us that when God spoke, literal light came out of His mouth. Maybe it did. I don't know. I wasn't there. What Genesis tells us is that when God speaks, things happen. It's a theological book because God is a talker. And when God talks, things change. People change. The universe changes. It helps us understand theologically who God is, what His nature is. He's not a silent God. He's not a God off in heaven that we can't know. He's a God that speaks things into being. He's a God that walks in the cool of the air with Adam and Eve. Did He literally walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve? Nobody knows. But what it tells us theologically is God wants to be close to His creation. So understanding the genre and understanding why a book was written just opens up a whole world of who God is, His nature, and how He works. This context is the key to understanding God's Word so that you don't misinterpret the most, the greatest prophecy that we have ever received. Number three, to hear God's Word, uh, sorry, hear God's story as you read the English words in your Bible. Now, some of you I know uh, might not read an English Bible. You might read it in your own native language. But when you read the Bible, hear the story of God 
not just the words on the page. The Bible, and this is a key, key point. Please hear this today. The Bible is God's story. It's God telling His story to humanity. That's what the Bible is. If you get caught on the words of the page, if you just look at one verse and take one verse and try to apply it to your life, you may run the risk of misinterpreting God's Word. You have to understand the Bible, all 66 books, as one big narrative that God is telling His story. And we know the story, don't we? Very generally, the story is God created the earth. Let let me talk as if I was God. I'm telling my story. I'm God. I created the earth and put humans there. Sin destroyed it and, and broke it up and messed it up, not the way I wanted it. So I sent myself or I sent Jesus, my son, to come and fix people and bind up broken hearts and show people a way to live in this broken world. And now since Jesus, I'm helping the family of God, which I called the church, to live in a world and bring restoration and flourishing and peace and, 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 and healing to, to people out there in the world. That's the big story of God that you've got to understand the Scriptures as. Every Scripture you interpret must be interpreted through that lens of the story that God is saying. That's why reading verses or reading three verses at a time is very dangerous because you can miss what God is trying to say. Everything has to be tied back to His big story. Isolating Scriptures is not smart. So where does God's big story start? In the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, right? No, it doesn't. Wrong. The story of God, the Bible, begins in the Gospels. It really begins in Luke chapter 3, where Jesus is baptized, and God comes from heaven, and He speaks and says, This is my Son. And the Holy Spirit falls on Him in the form of a dove, and Jesus, this is my Son. And then from there, it says in verse 22 and 23, that Jesus goes out and begins His ministry. The Old Testament means nothing to us until Jesus said, the Old Testament is the Word of God. (laughs) The New Testament is meaningless to us until Jesus came, raised up 12 disciples, and then they began to go out in the mission of Jesus to preach the gospel to all nations, and they began to write down the story of Jesus because that was the gospel they were preaching. That's our New Testament. That only means something because of Jesus Christ. All of human history... All of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, everything that God is trying to do in your life, it all hinges on the work of Jesus Christ. That's where God's story starts, that Jesus is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. I want to challenge you, encourage you, give you an application point this week around reading the Bible. I want to challenge you this week to read the Gospel of Mark. It's 16 chapters, the Gospel of Mark. If you did it in one sitting, it would take you about an hour and a half to read those 16 chapters. If you've got the time, it'd be awesome to sit down, not to read a verse, not to read a chapter, get rid of all the chapters and verses that weren't in the original, and just read it as a biography of Jesus Christ, telling you the story of Him, and see what you notice. You will be amazed what you see when you read the story. If you can't do it in one sitting, maybe read a little bit every every day for the next seven days and see if you can get through the book of Mark. See if you notice the non-stop action in the book of Mark. See if you notice that there's actual minimal teaching in the book of Mark. Luke, Matthew have a lot of teaching, like the Sermon on the Mount. Mark has minimal teaching and see if you can notice and pick up the Messianic secret. There's a constant secret that Jesus keeps alluding to. It's called the Messianic secret where it's understood as what is that? Number four, and let's finish this off today and we'll get Phil and Leanne back up here. Know how to study the Bible for personal transformation. The story of God that He's telling through the Bible for you 
ends with you being changed, transformed, your mind being renewed, your fears being demolished, your faith being encouraged, your church being built up. This is where God's Word through the Bible ends. It should end in you changing. Not in you changing the Bible or you reinterpreting the Scriptures, but you and I being transformed as we read the most reliable, powerful prophecy that's ever been spoken to mankind. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture, so this Bible, is God-breathed. God breathed it out. Therefore, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the purpose of the Bible to you and I right here today in modern Australia. It's that it transforms us. It corrects us. It changes us. It equips us. It brings us into alignment. It deals with our sin. It exposes our brokenness, all for the purpose of making us whole in Jesus Christ and equipping us for every good work, for that good work of restoration, that good work of changing society, that good work of being a better husband, a better father, a better worker, a better brother, a better better sister. That's what it does. You may have heard the Bible referred to as the canon of Scripture. Canon is from, from a Greek word that literally means read. And they would used to use a long reed as a measuring tape. So Pastor Phil, I'm sure, has a very long measuring tape for measuring and building fences. In the old days, they would use reeds and they'd use other straight natural plants and things like that to measure. And that would become the standard, the rule of measure. And that's where we get the word canon from. It's as if the Bible is the ruler and it's the standard for Christian character and Christian practice. It's the standard for our faith, our character in our heart, and it's the standard for our practice, so our actions, our faith, and our works. This is the standard. It's God's standard given to humanity. Very quickly as I finish, and and we'll try and um, put this maybe in the newsletter, or maybe I'll do a little video or something on it this week, just to help you study the Bible. If you want to study it well and handle it correctly, First and foremost, read entire books of the Bible, like I've encouraged you with Mark, or read entire passages, not just chapters, and definitely not just singular verses. You've got to get the narrative clear. Read the Bible alongside a study Bible or a recent commentary, so probably nothing too much before the 1970s, a recent commentary, so you can understand the context. This little study Bible is great because you can just jump across and go, this is what a Pharisee is, or this is why Paul said this. Or this is what it meant in ancient times when they talk about slavery or when they talk about eating or when they talk about marriage or something like that. Thirdly, always read two, three, four versions of a passage if you're reading it. Don't just always read NIV or always read the message. You've got to read different versions. I generally read the NIV, the New American, the Amplified and the message. I'll read those four versions of a passage to understand what it's really saying there can be quite different. Number four, if you want to read the Bible well, read deeper using a Strong's Concordance or an interlinear Bible, which is going to help you understand the original Greek and Hebrew words so that you can understand the most original version of what you're reading. You'll be very surprised sometimes that the English word and what you thought it meant is actually quite different to the author's original intention when it was written in Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic. And number five, read for application. And this is my final point here. Read the Word of God so that it applies to you and it changes your life. If you read the Word and do nothing about it, you're a hearer you're a hearer and not a doer. And we know that the Scripture itself tells us that we want to be hearers and doers. 
read it so that it transforms your life, so that it changes you, so that the Word of God, you al- it is alive and living, but you allow it to be alive and living in your real life. I really hope that blesses you this morning. I invite not only Anne back, but let me just pray for you, and then we'll jump to maybe a few comments as we finish. Uh, Lord, I just pray for our church right now, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that a few of us can be back at church and that many of us are going to come back in the next few weeks, Lord God. And we know we'll finally be back together one day. Hopefully it's only another month or two and some of the rules uh, blow over and we can be back together as a church family. We thank you that, again, we're not running without in vain. We are running with your word, by your word. It is the canon of Scripture, the reliable prophecy. It sets a standard for us. The Bible, let the Bible, Lord God, read us rather than we read the Bible. Lord, as people read through Mark this week, Lord God, rather than just them reading it, let the Bible and the Gospel of Mark also read them and transform them, transform them, transform me, transform us, Lord God. Lord, we know that we're a church that is completely reliable on the Word of God. Lord, rely, we rely on the Bible, Father God. We rely, Lord God, on the message of God, the words spoken into our heart that, that only affirm the Bible, and the Bible only affirms what's prophetically spoken into our heart, Father God. Lord, we want to be people of the Word of God. We want to be people that your words become our words, that your words become our actions that transform our lives and transform everyone around us, Father God, we pray. We couldn't be doing a a series about God's Word and not dive deeply into the Bible, which we understand is a major part of what you have spoken to us, Lord God, all of humanity, Lord God, but especially to us, the church, the people of God that have an ear to hear your Word. Amen. I loved your point, Kay, about, you know, that the, the Bible is God telling his story to us. You know, when we read the Bible, it transforms our lives. Like, it, it teaches us, when we, when we read it accurately, it teaches us how to be a better parent, mm. how to have a great marriage, um, you know, like, how to be a great employee, how to treat other people, you know. It's just amazing, you know, and, and you know, for a lot of us, it's easy to take it for granted, but when we actually read it the way God intended us to read it, it will transform Definitely. not only our life, our kids' lives, yeah. others' lives. Yeah, amen. Amazing. Yeah. I love you, you know, even your challenge to us this week to read uh, Mark because I know I've, I've shared it before and said, you know, I've often, I, I think back, I had a time when I really read through the, the Gospels a lot mm. and like you said, I, I did it as a thing of really watching because I, I tend to be a person that uh, learns a lot from watching and observing others. You know, I've mm. often, even in management opportunities, I've watched other managers and really watched how they do and it's half of it's in what they've, mm. how they've acted rather than even what they've said, you know, like yeah. I'm sure their words are powerful but... Uh, doing that, so I, I read the Gospels as, as, like you said, a biography of, uh, mm. of just sort of you know looking through and watching what Jesus did and how did he handle that? How exactly. did he, you know, what happened? You know, and so grasping in that, and it was that was a real powerful transformation That's for awesome. me, impacting my life. And so to go back and even do that again, I think is really powerful. So Definitely. Yeah. Good. And so much of the Bible is like a biography. Yeah. You know, and that's why we love the stories of David and Goliath and Gideon and because yeah. they, and you're reading it right because yeah. it actually tells us how to act by observing the life of Gideon or the life of David in the yeah. Psalms. There's just this constant reminder of how hard life is, but how we should reach out to God yeah. with all of our full emotion and love Him. And, you know, it's a biography of this is how to conduct yourself in the Word of God, yeah. showing us that through mostly through story, yeah. not through laws. Yeah. 
and that's the and that's why the gospels are so powerful because it's the biographies of Jesus yeah. and how to act in this world. Yeah, no, it's so so good. The other thing that really impacted me again, like you know, I've heard it quite a long time ago, but it was a good refresher, like of the the evidence that they found with the yeah. scrolls. You know, would you say there's fifteen hundred years yeah. ago or something? Yeah, like that? amazing. The yeah. Dead Sea Scrolls, um, yeah. the biggest archaeological find ever, and it was only in 1947. Wow, amazing! Yeah, yeah. I saw it in the. Um, the Museum of the Bible when we were in Washington, D.C. in 2019. Yeah. They had parts of Isaiah there. Mm-hmm. And it was written 1,500 years ago by some scribe. Yeah. And they found it in 1947, hidden in wow. these caves. Yeah. You know, inc- And the, the, the words they wrote 1,500 years ago is what we had in the modern Bible. And these were the oldest transcripts. And it was like 1,500 years, basically nothing's changed. Yeah. Great yeah. evidence. that Because a lot of people criticise the Bible saying, well, scribes change things. And yeah. You know, surely they that, tweaked yeah. it at this time to fit a certain point of view or ideology, but they didn't. They handled it as this is God's word. Yeah. We can't alter this. And, it's, and that's happened throughout history. That's so powerful. Yeah. What a beautiful Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> it is amazing. Um, I'll just, there's a comment on here from Jazz. She was just saying she's looking forward to, to actually, you know, teaching the kids more straight after the service. Okay. Uh, you know, about the, the armour of God and helping them to understand and be able to apply that to their lives at such a young age. Again, yeah. I remember learning about that when I was a kid, you know, the, the physical Classic. things. Yeah. Classic. But yeah. man, it has held me throughout my life, yeah. um, you know, just, you know, the things that we train our kids in, yeah. um, you know, really do stay with us, yeah. uh, with them, with us. My, my kids know, have loved it because Jazz has had them running off finding belts. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, Eva was wearing one of mum's pink shirts last week as her breastplate of righteousness <laughs> <laughs> walking around. <laughs> but it's so yeah. powerful because Ephesians 6 is all about spiritual warfare, isn't it? I mean, yeah. we're just in such a difficult mm. time yeah. with the universe. The world's kind of on fire. Yeah. And, you know, we don't need to be fighting people, as it says in Ephesians 6, mm. flesh and blood. We need to be fighting with, uh, the sword of the spirit yeah. and, you know, mm. the belt of truth and, and these spiritual things that uh, it's great the kids are learning. Well, maybe we can get some photos. Um, <laughs> either in our service or even online, you know, of these kids with their armour yeah, uh, of good. God on. It'll be uh, just great. gorgeous, just gorgeous. Fantastic. <laughs> Very good. Well done. Great, uh, great message again. So great. You want to... No, that's it. Yeah. Look, uh, sorry, we look forward to, uh, you know, again catching up soon. So bless you all. Fourteen you know. more sleeps, okay? That's it. And Four- we'll be in person. I haven't got enough hands. Here. Fourteen <laughs> more sleeps. Enjoy the uh, opening up of uh, more freedom and uh, being able to touch base with people and that, you know, make sure that you do get to, to connect with others in this time. So uh, bless you guys. Have a great, uh, great week and we look forward to catching up with you again soon. And Jazzy, it's over to you. See you, everyone.